only 15% of breast cancer is genetic and 85% is linked to other factors. I was completely taken aback hearing this statement. We've all seen someone close to us struggle through breast cancer. The emotions that arise when learning about the diagnosis to navigating the different challenges through treatment need a healing and supportive team. In today's podcast, we will answer three questions. What is the intersection between hormones and breast cancer? How do you navigate required shifts gradually? What is the intersection between lifestyle, hormones, mindset and breast cancer? What is the transformative approach that is needed when you first get a diagnosis? My guest today was someone for whom I waited several months to get on the show simply because I felt she was the only one who was best to speak into this subject of breast cancer and sleep. She has over three decades of clinical experience as a naturopath, acupuncturist, homeopath and functional medicine expert. She believes that healing is always possible. She addresses not only the physical symptoms, but also the emotional, mental and spiritual components that contribute to each woman's situation. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, Author and Yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Dr. Laurie, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm so glad I waited for you to manage your schedule for this. And we're talking about hormones, breast cancer, sleep. You do a lot of work in holistic cancer care for um, women with breast cancer. And I would love to have your Um, perspectives on a lot of things that I think we must address simply because it's a large field, the area of breast cancer treatment and uh, those who are trying to um, recover from breast cancer, work through breast cancer. Let's just start a little bit with your story. So what brought you into 
your passion for this area and was there a personal story there what what brought i know you are a naturopath but what really brought you into this specific area first of all thank you so much for having me i'm honored and excited to be here with you and your audience and I'm very excited to share the topics that we're uh, addressing today. Um, I, For me, I studied breast cancer at, when I was a student at the National College of Naturopathic Medicine many years ago. And it was a disease that I knew about, but it became very personal to me one day when I picked up the phone. I thought it was a crank call, and it turns out it was my dear friend, hysterically crying, saying the four words that no woman ever wants to hear, which is they found a lump. And so for her, this had been discovered on a routine mammogram and she was called back and um, she underwent uh, more diagnostic testing. And then they said to her, you have breast cancer. The other four words that no woman ever wants to hear. So in that moment, I uh, committed to going through every aspect and every treatment with her. And it was 18 months, uh, biopsy, um, deciding whether she was going to have a lumpectomy or mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiation. And um, then she was placed on hormonal therapy, which she had a bad reaction to, and she needed to have her uterus removed, which is not that uncommon. And right from the very beginning, I um, got an up close and personal experience of what was working in the field of medical oncology and what was really lacking. And I started using my skill set as a naturopath, acupuncturist, and homeopath. Uh, and I remember when we were in the oncology office at UCS, UCSF, the doctor looked up at her blood work and said, what are you doing? And we said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I want all my patients to do it too, because this is not the blood work of somebody who's in the middle of chemotherapy. And so from that moment on, um, the Empowered Against Recurrence, Empowered Through Treatment, the Path of Breast Cancer, my program was created. It was born through my experience eight of 18 months with my dear friend. And that was um, 15, 16 years ago, and she remains cancer-free. That's the good story. Wow, Carol. And I would like us to talk a little bit more about what did that look like? Could you describe a little bit about, I mean, at that point for you, it was a shot in the dark and then subsequently you were excited and started to dive deeper. But what did your initial intuition lead you towards and what were the first steps that you took in that direction? Well, it was never a shot in the dark because there's a lot of research in PubMed and science-backed information about how does integrative tools support medical oncology. And I'm an integrative practitioner. I believe in taking the best of both worlds. There are practitioners out there who only do all natural treatments. And then there are doctors who think that what I do is contraindicated or a waste of time. And unfortunately, that's not accurate because there is research which supports what I do. And there is research which, you know, if you have a very low aggressive uh, breast cancer, you can do all natural treatment. And there are women who vehemently are committed to that. And everything needs to be respected. 
And there's no one path. Um, there's just like there's no one type of breast cancer. Breast cancer is a chapter heading. And if you go deeper into the pathology and the metabolic driving factors, there are no two breast cancers that are the same because no two women are the same. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you did mention how a lot of women have uh, hormone related, they have to take hormone treatment. And I just remembered a very dear friend of ours who had the same experience about a couple of years ago where she found a lump and then she was so terrified. And then when she did get the diagnosis of breast cancer, it was almost as if she couldn't believe it for a while. And there were so many calls where we were talking about it. And before that, she got the official diagnosis, she she just thought it wouldn't be her. And when that call came, it was as if it took her a few days just to get, um, I mean, she just had to make sense of it. She could not believe it was her. And subsequently, after she had the surgery and she had the hormone uh, replacement treatment, and she said, um, of course, she had to be on it for the rest of her life. Then she went wow. down the route of uh, hysterectomy. And there were so many other complications alongside once she started the hormone replacement therapy because... Uh, like anything else, like a woman struggling with hormone imbalance, she had so many symptoms associated with that. And somehow she just felt that there was no way out. She didn't think that, um, she just thought that she has cancer and any symptom was better than dying of breast cancer and so she started to accept that she was meant to be struggling with many of these symptoms so let's talk a little bit about the intersection between hormones and breast cancer um, not just in terms of because I saw you shake your head when I said she was told that she had to be on hormone replacement therapy her whole life so let's talk a bit about is that true and are there nuances to it? And also, is it like any other uh, hormone imbalance perspective where women still need to support themselves in ways if they need to be on hormone replacement therapy? Okay, you brought up a lot of things. First of all, uh, uh, you don't need to be on hormone therapy the rest of your life. That is not what medical research has shown, number one. Number two, quality of life on these drugs is extremely important. And like so much about cancer treatment, there's the good and the bad. And you need to be an informed person. Notice I'm not using the word patient you need to be very informed and educated so you can make the right decision for yourself. Um, there are ways of manipulating the dosage of the medication that the doctor is offering you. You need to do it in conjunction with your oncologist. And there are supplements that you can take which will decrease some of the side effects. And this is a science that a lot of people such as myself, we study, we're members of advanced integrative oncology groups for physicians, and we review the research, we gather together, we talk about what works and what doesn't work. 
because it's very easy to think, oh, I'll just go into Dr. Google. And there is a lot of information available in Dr. Google, but there is a very specific way of putting together protocols so that you're really addressing the metabolic nature of cancer. And the idea that cancer is a metabolic disease started in 1918 when this German scientist by the name of Otto Warburg discovered something that is now known as the Warburg effect. And he won the Nobel Medicine Prize for this. And very put very simply, he discovered that cancer given a choice between oxygen and glucose for its cancer gas tank, which is what I'm calling it, it will choose sugar as opposed to oxygen, even though it has to work much harder to get that and it gets less ATP or less gas for the gas tank. So that's the beginning of cancer as a metabolic disease. And what that does is it empowers people with cancer to really make specific choices in how they're feeding their body. For example, do you want to start your morning with a scone or oatmeal or coffee? All those things translate right into sugar. And then you're giving the cancer cells the wake up call. Or do you want to start your morning with green tea and um, maybe some steamed vegetables and a little bit of protein? So that is the beginning of understanding that you have a lot of ability to influence how you get through cancer treatment and then recurrence doesn't necessarily have to be random. And I think I want us to stop there for a second, Carol, because um, typically when we say protein and vegetables and then the usual remark that someone always tells me in turn is uh, the doctor said that I should not eat any animal protein. So this is a very classic statement that you hear when someone has cancer. So I'd love to have your perspective upon plant-based versus animal-based in during cancer treatment. And when you mentioned protein, so what does that look like under that perspective? And um, when somebody is struggling with symptoms and uh, definitely if they've been on a very high sugar diet and by sugar there's still so much confusion today when you say sugar people say no I don't consume any sugar I just take half a spoon of sugar in my coffee and then invariably we're forgetting about all the sugars in the food the rice the there's so much sugar hidden everywhere in the food carbohydrate the simple carbohydrates so how does that look for somebody who's moving from that kind of a diet into something which is supportive to cancer care? And obviously, they're going to feel an initial repercussion in just that shift. And during that time, they're also going through challenges with their treatment and their emotional, their mindset, all of that. So I'd love for us to stay there in diet for a little while because there's so many subtle nuances here. There are. First of all, let's address the standard American diet, which the initials are SAD. It's not only SAD, it's also dangerous. Eating the standard American diet literally quadruples the cancer rate. I'll give you a really clear example. The Japanese culture, before it became westernized, when it was its own little isolated island, they had almost no breast cancer. 
as the Japanese culture became more Americanized and there was more processed food and saturated fats and soy went from its original beautiful non-GMO um, product to a unhealthy product that had been manipulated with chemicals, their cancer, breast cancer rate and their overall cancer rate dramatically increased. So um, uh, the standard American diet is filled with processed foods, saturated and unhealthy fats, very little vegetables. I, I have people come in and they rare, I mean, one person said, I've never had a red pepper. I've eaten them cooked, but I've never had a raw red pepper. And I, I gave her a taste and she didn't like it. So, I mean, when you're starting from that, you have to go gradually. You can't just take everything away and say, here, you're on a new plan and just get over being upset because it's not going to work. Uh, um, it has to happen in gradual shifts. Uh, there's a, a lot of messaging that eating oatmeal is healthy in the morning. Now, if you don't have cancer and you want to eat oatmeal, now let's get really clear. Oatmeal is not the grain that comes out of the little paper round red blue box that we all grew up with because that's a very processed food. Oatmeal is steel cut oats that's, that are organic that you have to cook for 15 or 30 minutes, whatever. But even that, it's a, it's a grain and that gets translated into sugar very quickly in your body. So I don't agree with... Um, I don't, not, no, no oncologist in America has said you need to not eat, eat protein. Um, you don't want to eat meat that is not organic. And that's a problem because a lot of people shop at these uh, Costco or Safeway and the meat that you're seeing there has been fed chemicals. It's been grown in an unhealthy way. And the fat in there is carcinogenic and very unhealthy. You want to eat farm to table red meat. If you want to eat meat, you don't have to eat red meat. And if you're going to eat chicken, there are some people say, oh, you should never eat chicken. But if you're going to eat chicken, it needs to be organic chicken. There are some people say you should never eat eggs. I personally don't think that that is a problem. They have to be organic. I'm not a big dairy proponent. I don't think that as, as adults, we need cow's milk. Um, but you know the American advertising company has spent billions of dollars thinking that thinking that you know cow's milk everybody needs to drink cow's milk and eat box cereal for breakfast. So it takes a while to divorce yourself from the messaging which people grew up watching television, pop tarts and frozen waffles. None of that has to do with what is healthy and what we need for our bodies. So if you're coming from that and, you, and you're working with someone such as myself, we need to do it in gradual steps because it's not going to work. So I try to work on an individual basis or I'm working in a group and I say, okay, we're this week for the next two weeks, we're just gonna get our breakfast healthy. Let's just start with that and let's make it contained and you're going from whatever it was you were and we're going to focus on some green tea and some protein and let's talk about what those protein options might be organic non-GMO tofu, nuts that you need organic that have to be weighed or measured. You can have an egg if you want. Um, protein can also be fish. So, I mean, there are ways of getting protein that are healthy. Black beans are very healthy. Lentils have protein in them. If you're a vegan, and I've worked with several vegans, what I have them do is count their protein. 
because really we need at least 60 grams and most vegans are not getting 60 grams of protein. So I have them weigh and measure their, their lentils and their black beans and really brown rice is very glycemic. So we got to get away from that. Where are you getting your protein from if you're a vegan? So you have to make sure that yes, for religious or whatever reasons you want to be a vegan, but how are you nurturing your body and are you getting enough protein? I think you clarify that beautifully, Carol, because usually it's hard to get somebody to talk about options for vegans. And I think it's really sensitive that you mentioned that we need to respect those beliefs. However, we also need to take that extra care. I think that's a very valid point. And let's come back to hormones and how they interact with breast cancer and uh, about hormone replacement therapy, but also what does that do? So what are the symptoms women come across? What can they do to, you had mentioned earlier, quality of life while have, on being on hormones. So let's just come back to hormones. Okay. Um, there's a difference between hormone replacement therapy and um, hormone blocking or hormonal blocking medication, which is in the form of tamoxifen, which is a selective estrogen response modifier, or an aromatase inhibitor, which blocks the conversion of androgens into estrogen or progesterone. Those are two different forms of hormonal blocking medication that women are put on post-breast cancer. And if a woman has um, been diagnosed early, like unfortunately women are in their 30s now when they're getting breast cancer, and that they need to be then blocking their ovarian production of estrogen. And they can choose to have their ovaries removed or they can choose to take a shot of Lupron, which turns the ovaries off. So before a woman does that, before a woman goes on hormone blocking medication, there is something in the US called the Dutch Hormonal Panel. And what that does is it looks at how your body is breaking down your hormones because the hormones need to be broken down and they need to be safely eliminated. And we find out when we do this Dutch hormonal panel that they may get to a certain point and then there is a, a mismatch in your ability to, to process them so that the unhealthy version of estrogen is building up in your body and that can uh, lead to the creation of breast cancer. Now, only 15% of breast cancer is genetic. So that means there's 85% of breast cancer that is created by other factors, such as not being able to break down your hormones properly or in, in enough or having an unhealthy lifestyle or um, not eating properly or being exposed to external environmental chemicals in your environment or in your home. I once had a woman who came to see me. Now, she didn't have breast cancer, but she was 35 and she came in with a diagnosis of unexplained infertility. And I love these unexplained diagnoses because for me, it means the right tests haven't been done. But for her, it was very simple. She came and she smelled, she had on enough perfume for like a department store. And I said to her, tell me about scents. And she said, oh, I love scent. I have the plugins in the wall. I have those sticks that you put in oil. And this was the clincher. She sprayed her sofa with this product called Febreze, which is advertised to take the smells off of your sofa. Now, that is one of the most toxic estrogen disrupting products that you can use. And what that means is 
she would get on the sofa and she would touch it or her dog would be on there and the chemicals would be on the dog hair and she'd pet the dog and all those chemicals were being uh, absorbed into her skin. She was using dryer sheets and over-the-counter laundry detergent. And then when she got out of the shower, she would her pores would be open from the hot shower. She would wrap herself in the towel and the chemicals from the dryer sheets would enter her skin. And so I said to her, so when you go home, take everything you're using in your house and put it on the countertop and take a photo and send it to me. 29 items. I said, you don't have unexplained infertility. You have toxic chemical estrogen disruption. And we put her, she had to throw out her sofa because we didn't, couldn't detoxify her sofa. And she cleaned everything. She bought eco laundry detergent. She got rid of all the plugins. She started eating differently. And I gave her some supplements and she was pregnant in three months without having to spend $40,000 on IVF. So what we do in our environment and how we live our life dramatically Im uh, implicates and indicates where we get a disease. And these illnesses or diagnoses don't develop overnight right? It takes a while. And the other part of this is we haven't mentioned it yet, is emotional component or mindset. So when I talk to a woman, no matter what her chronic disease is, I always say, have you had any trauma or stressful events? And a lot of women say, well, not really, but then they go, well, this happened 20 years ago and it couldn't be that. And then she tells me this really intense, upsetting story. <laughs> And in the moment, you know, it's very safety. You just do what you can to get through this scary event. But that stress lives in your cells. And then you combine that with a stressful life or a toxic job. You're unhappy in your life. And all of a sudden that inflammation builds up and you end up with autoimmune thyroiditis, chronic insomnia, diverticulitis or cancer. So what we haven't dealt with in our life emotionally, and there's no judgment, it's very difficult to be an adult and not have had some form of upsetting experiences. Just watching the news these days can be traumatic. Um, and then that builds up. So how do we release that? How do we process trauma? How do we clean up our life emotionally and physically so that the playing field or the river of your energy gets to run smoothly without any blockages? That becomes the task. And Carol, when you were just talking about the news can be stressful, I just had a client last month who watched the news and there was the shooting in the school in the US and she was so disturbed by that for a week and it put her back into so many symptoms of migraines that didn't go away for several days. And then I just had to tell her that at this point in time, I think you just should stay away from watching disturbing news because you don't yet have the tools to process this information. So it's best to just distance your mind from that and work on yourself and you mentioned the toxic perfumes and I was just thinking back to a client who had who was in menopause and there were so many symptoms that she was having and we discovered several months later that she was going every single week to have hair coloring done and oh, uh, yes and every, uh, every single week and when I said to her that do you really need this and she said yes I am covered with grace and 
it's a huge part of uh, who I am, my confidence. It doesn't allow me to go out there and represent myself in my work if I allow myself. So we had to talk through the fact that, yes, while I totally respect that you need this to be uh, supporting you in different ways, we need to clean it up and look for options which are based in nature. So we had to do a lot of research and just get her back into um, indigo and um, Anna. Um, Anna and uh, remove all of that. And it was remarkable that women, a lot of women do not recognize this connection at all. And it is so prevalent all over. Uh, yes. So I'm so glad you raised that and because it also brings the power back to us because beyond breast cancer, beyond the oncologist, it just tells us there's so much that is still in our hands and we can do so much for ourselves. Uh, and I think that um, you did mention to me a little earlier about what's the first most overlooked step you need to take once you receive a diagnosis. So if we could talk a little bit about that and then we can come to sleep specifically. Sure. Um, when you're initially diagnosed, and I saw this with my friend and I hear this with a lot of women, uh, there's this urgent rush. Oh my God, we found a lump. You have to go for biopsy. We're going to schedule you next week or tomorrow. It's not a surgical emergency. Rarely is it a surgical emergency. Let's put it like that. You can have time to um, make sure you're getting the right tests. Uh, did they do enough? Do you need an MRI before you have a biopsy? Do you need to um, get some, understand that your life is going to be disrupted? And if you have young children, who's going to take care of your kids? Women do like 30 things before they go out of the house or start work. How are you going to bring in your support team to manage your household while you're recovering from your uh, biopsy and then possibly lumpectomy, surgery, whatever, chemotherapy? We need to gather a healing team. You can take one or two weeks to figure this out. On today's episode, Carol took us through so many nuances of breast cancer, including mindset, where to begin, the intersection between what we do in our life and our hormones, which then interplay with breast cancer. This is a two-part episode. Set yourself up with a reminder to listen to part two of this conversation coming up next week. Remember to follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you get each episode dropped straight into your reminder list. If you have missed any of the episodes, I ask you to scroll down today and pick out the ones that seem relevant to you and take a listen. If you love the show or a specific episode, take a moment to leave a review. As you know, reviews allow more people to find the show. Here's a 5-star rating and review on Apple which reads, Deepa is an amazing podcast hostess and functional medicine practitioner focusing on sleep. She brings interesting people to interview on her podcast. Some of them became my favorite interviews. 
have a great day Hi everyone I hope you enjoyed the show today just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only it is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional this information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services if you are looking for personal help on your health journey do seek out a qualified professional please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com it is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health condition be sure to subscribe to the sleep whisper a podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches